Hey, it's Jessica Marshall with another episode of The Eagle. We are midway through October. During the first half of this month, we had what our editor-in-chief, Casey Seiler, called a veritable news tornado. From the abduction of a nine-year-old girl to the long-awaited civil trial in the case of a man who died after a police chase in Saratoga Springs, to a conviction in a high-profile murder case, we had our hands full in the newsroom. We're going to focus on the latter of these stories in this week's episode. Now, it is heavy, dark stuff, and it's going to include mentions of things like violence, murder, and suicide. It may be highly, highly disturbing to some, so please listen with care to this episode. On October 5th, Times Union crime and courts reporter Rob Gavin and I threw ourselves into an elevator on the ground floor of the Albany Judicial Center. Yeah, okay, yeah. All the verdict's gonna be coming in, all right? Those words, uttered by Rob Gavin, had sent us sprinting to a courtroom on the third floor of the building. We'd been waiting about an hour that morning since the jury went into deliberation in the trial of Jacob Klein, who's charged with second-degree murder in the brutal killing of Philip Rabati in April of 2022. Good morning, welcome back to the jury. I have your note indicating that you have reached a verdict that marked it as court exhibit number six and stated today at 9.57 a.m. The jury had only deliberated about an hour the previous afternoon before the judge had sent everyone home, and they'd been at it about two hours total. Does a short deliberation mean a conviction? Does it mean an acquittal? Legal experts, both bona fide and armchair, agree there's really no science behind the length of a deliberation. Acquittals have taken minutes and convictions have taken weeks and vice versa. It really depends on the case. But in this case... Will the fourth person please rise? In the matter of the people of the state of New York against Jacob Klein, what was your verdict in reference to the charge of murder in the second degree under the first count of the indictment? Guilty. Was your verdict unanimous? Yes. The courtroom was silent. You say you find the defendant guilty of the charge of murder in the second degree under the first count of the indictment. Jacob Klein did not appear to have much of a reaction to becoming a convicted murderer. He sat still at the defense table. His eyes darted back and forth between jury and judge as his fate was determined. The 42-year-old former physician assistant now faces 25 years to life in prison. His sentencing is set for December 8th. This is a tough case to, like, shake, you know. I just think it sticks with me because it's so horrible. It's so, the stakes are so big. Rob Gavin was in the Albany courtroom for the duration of the trial, which lasted a little more than two weeks. There's a lot of crime we cover in the news involving street shootings, involving domestic violence, even some weird stuff. He's been covering crime in courts for the Times Union for almost two decades. Before that, he had covered that beat for other publications in New York. He's seen a lot. This one was unique in that you had seven months of planning. 
it's not only a case involving a victim who is just completely did nothing other than fall in love and marry a woman who unfortunately was the victim of a violent stalker turned murderer in Jacob L. Klein, and who decided many, many, many times and many, many opportunities to stop this complicated and uh, methodical plan. This case had all the elements of a typical true crime podcast. A brutal murder, stalking, a jealous ex, a plot to kill, an idyllic life turned into a nightmare on a sunny spring morning. We dedicated an episode of our third season of The Eagle in April of 2022 to what we knew then about the case. That episode is called Murder in New Scotland. We produced it just after Jacob Klein was arrested and charged with the murder of Philip Rabati. That was about a year and a half before the trial. Many of the details that came out at trial matched information that law enforcement had made public at that time, but we learned a lot of new and frankly shocking information at the trial as well. We're going to spend the rest of this episode recapping it. This was a crime of preparation, of planning, that took time and effort. For Assistant District Attorney Jessica Blaine Lewis, this case was simple. Classic revenge by a jilted lover. A man so consumed with rage that his former girlfriend was happily married that he stalked the couple, meticulously plotted to kill her husband, and ruthlessly carried out the plan. The killing of Bill Bravati was committed to inflict immeasurable pain. The evidence will show that it was calculated, deliberate, and intentional. And it was. One of the aspects of this trial that made it particularly unusual was that Jacob Klein, who is on trial for murder, mind you, elected to represent himself. His father was a lawyer. In fact, Frank Klein was the district attorney of Schoharie County for most of the 1990s. But Jacob Klein is not a lawyer. He did not go to law school. He has no legal training. Yet there he was in that courtroom, standing in his own defense. I know you know that I am not a lawyer. Evidence will show I'm a physician assistant who specializes in emergency medicine and a part-time investor. I've treated over 10,000 patients in the emergency room. In an opening statement, in his own defense, Jacob Klein calmly maintained his innocence. I'm just a guy who's been falsely accused of a horrible crime that I did not do. Klein said that he was in the New Scotland area looking at real estate investments at the time of the murder. He had driven up from his home outside Roanoke, Virginia, stayed at an Airbnb, and rented a Dodge Ram truck because he says the properties he was viewing, in the same town where his ex-girlfriend and her husband lived, coincidentally, 
were off-road and muddy. Yes, he admitted to being in the area at the time of the murder. But, he says, there is no DNA evidence that ties him to the scene. Since Klein was representing himself, that meant he could cross-examine all of the prosecution's witnesses. One of those witnesses, in fact, the star witness, was his ex-girlfriend, Elena Radin. After nearly two years of not speaking and a year and a half since Philip Rabati was killed, the two would inevitably come face to face. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union subscriber today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome back to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Marshall. Philip Rabadi was a physician assistant, 35 years old, beloved by patients, friends, and family, a woodworker in his spare time. He and his wife, Elena Radin, both worked as PAs in the surgical department at St. Peter's Hospital in Albany. They were married in September of 2021. They built a house on a quiet cul-de-sac in rural Albany County, the small town of New Scotland. They had plans to lead an idyllic life. But on April 13th, 2022, their dreams became a nightmare. Elena Radin left the house early that morning to work a shift. Philip Rabati slept in. He was due into work around noon. At about 7.34 a.m. that day, a white Dodge Ram pickup pulled up at the end of his driveway on Miller Road. A person wearing a hoodie, a surgical mask, and pants with a stripe down part of the leg got out of the truck and strode up the front walk. That person walked up the steps of the porch, banged on the front door, peered in the sidelights. No one answered. After about 40 seconds, that visitor walked back down the porch steps and down the walk. They appeared, at least on the ring doorbell footage a neighbor provided that was played in court, to be walking around the side of the house. But the visitor didn't get far. Philip Rabati answered the door. Wearing shorts and a t-shirt, presumably his pajamas given the hour and his work schedule, he walked down the front steps and down the walk to meet the visitor. They appeared to have a brief conversation. What happened to your wrist? The visitor asked Rabati. The audio on the ring footage becomes kind of unintelligible after that. Prosecutors, fortunately, were able to sharpen it up. And then, according to the prosecutors, what he said is, don't F with me. He turns around and goes in the house. It's a, it's a horrifying thing to watch. And that was mm-hmm. on surveillance video. We saw them a meeting out there. Because you and I know what's going to happen watching it. We know right. that. 
fill up her body is not going to survive. That's the last time we see him alive. Right. That's the last time anybody sees him alive. It's on that ring camera footage, which, yeah, I've watched it a number of times and I am just thoroughly disturbed by it. It's it's very disturbing to watch. The ring camera footage was part of the evidence shown at trial. The DA's office released it after the trial publicly, and you can see it on timesunion.com or on our YouTube channel. Also part of the evidence, an approximately 24-minute video from the body camera of the police officer who responded to the welfare check call Elena Raiden made when her husband failed to show up for work on time a few hours after the ring camera caught Philip Rabati going into his house with a stranger. I've only seen edited footage of this video that the DA's office released after the trial. Rob Gavin saw the full, unedited version in court, along with the jury, and Philip Rabati's father, Shaw Rabati, who attended every moment of that trial. The only way I can describe it is that it's like watching another person's hell before your eyes, and you're watching it in real time. The footage begins with the police officer pulling up to the house on Miller Road. It shows the arrival of Elena Raiden and Shaw Rabati, who raced to the house after making the 911 call to have a welfare check. Then, a search of the house on Miller Road. You can hear the officers calling out Philip's name. And then, a scream of anguish. I'm not gonna play the recording here out of respect for the family of the victim, but I can describe it. The sound of Shah Rabadi screaming when he discovered his son in the garage, bound and stabbed to death, is one of the most heartbreaking things I have ever heard. It's hard to stress just how raw that video was when you saw it, because there was no editing of it. It was the exactly as, as bad as people might think. And this is a case where we did uh, see autopsy photos as well. You know, and that's something you do see in court. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm used to seeing them. I don't like seeing them. I don't think anybody wants to see them. But I, I think there's something, something about this scene is just so horrific. Philip Rabati's cause of death was blood loss due to stab wounds in his neck and head that severed major arteries. His murder had been violent, and it had been committed by someone, the prosecution argued, who knew what they were doing. Someone who knew the human body well, and someone who knew how to ensure their DNA was nowhere to be found afterward. That person was Jacob Klein, they said, a trained physician assistant and former combat medic. One of the trial's more heartbreaking revelations came during testimony from the medical examiner who performed the autopsy. Dr. Bernard Eng revealed that Philip Rabati had used his own medical knowledge in his final moments to fight for his life. He knew how he'd been injured, he knew the severity, and he pinned his head to his shoulder to try to staunch the blood loss. Within an hour after Philip Rabati's body was discovered, the police officer who responded to the scene interviewed Elena Raiden. On the body cam footage played in court, the officer asks Raiden if she knew of anyone who could have done this to her husband. 
doesn't live around here but makes me nervous. Okay, what's his name? What if it wasn't him? <laughs> That's okay, if it's not him, I don't, at least even, I don't even want him to know I, I exist, but um well he you know, Jake, Jacob. If one of them is available, have them come to the team Klein, K-L-E-I-N. Police now had a name, Jacob Klein. The investigation took off. Klein was pulled over and arrested at gunpoint two days later on I-81 at the Virginia-Tennessee border. On day six of the trial, the Tennessee state trooper who made the arrest gave testimony. Prosecutors played body cam footage from the arrest. We obtained the video after the trial. Here's a portion of it. I know what you guys are here for. I understand that you're actually on turning myself in. It's a little hard to hear, but as the state troopers are handcuffing Klein, he says, I know what you guys are here for. I was actually planning on turning myself in. Then, as he's being put into the trooper's vehicle, he says, Trust me, I really wanted to fucking die by police a little while ago, but I would never shoot a cop. I would never shoot a cop. Okay? Just have seen somebody. We'll, we'll uh, get somebody talking in a few minutes, okay? Yeah. Now, just to be clear for people who don't know what that is, suicide by cop is what, pulling a gun on the cops and hoping that they shoot you? Is that kind of what that is? You're hoping to provoke police into shooting you. In his case, the state trooper, who was a Tennessee state trooper because it was right by the border, testified that it was a much more serious stop than usual because they knew what he was wanted for. They knew that he was wanted in connection with a homicide in New York State. Yeah, I don't know that it would have taken a whole lot for um, you know, him to provoke police because they know this is someone wanted of an extremely violent uh, crime. Mm-hmm. And they, as far as they know, he's armed. And he was armed. He did have a gun in his car. He did have a knife in his car. He didn't reach um, for either of those items, though, during the He didn't the reach for either of them. Prosecutors presented the body cam video and the trooper's testimony as evidence that Jacob Klein was well aware that he was sought in connection with Philip Rabati's murder. Why, they argued, if he didn't commit a crime, would he be saying that he knew what the troopers were arresting him for? Just a day before, the prosecution called Timothy Wynn. He had been friends with Jacob Klein for about a decade. The two had met gaming online. After Klein left the Albany area on April 13, 2022, he headed home to Virginia. The next day, he met Timothy Wynn in Memphis, Tennessee, a nine-hour drive that was the halfway point from Virginia to Wynn's residence in Dallas. He asked Wynn to take care of his dog, an Alaskan Malamute named Kira. His reason? Wynn testified that Klein said he was, quote, in big trouble with the law. Again, the prosecution argued that showed evidence of Klein's guilt, because how would he know that he was in trouble with the law if he hadn't committed a crime? On cross... Klein intimated that he was trying to make a joke. There's a lot more evidence that was brought up at trial of Jacob Klein's whereabouts before, during, and after the murder that prosecutors used to tie him to the crime. I'm going to summarize a little bit here for the sake of fitting it all into this one episode. 
At just about 6 a.m. on the day of the murder, a ring doorbell camera catches Klein walking his dog Kira outside his Airbnb. He's wearing a grayish jacket, a pair of athletic pants with a stripe down the side of the leg, and what looks like running sneakers. Klein is spotted in the same outfit at a nearby Stewart shop at 6.37 a.m. He's then spotted at 6.59 on security camera footage with a Stewart's cup walking into the St. Peter's Hospital parking garage. In a zoomed-in still frame, prosecutors allege you can see the outline of a gun in his right pocket. At 7.31, the Dodge Ram is seen on a doorbell camera driving on New Scotland Road in the direction of Philip Rabati's house. At 7.35, the ring camera of Rabati's neighbor's house picks up the same Dodge Ram pulling up to Rabati's house. It's blurry, but you can see the driver wearing a mask and pants with a stripe down the side get out and walk up the front path. It's worth pointing out here because it is so memorable a moniker Prosecutor Jessica Blaine Lewis began referring to these pants as the murder pants. At 7.55, the Dodge Ram drives away. One minute later, it returns. And then four minutes after that, it drives away again. At 8.23, it is seen pulling up to the Airbnb in Albany. Jacob Klein is seen in the next half hour wearing shorts and a dark red sweater, putting a plastic garbage bag into the truck and holding a spray bottle of bleach. Klein is also seen on camera returning the rented Dodge Ram at an Enterprise in Albany around 9.15. He's wearing the red sweater and now jeans. He takes an Uber back to the Airbnb around 10 a.m. He leaves in his own car, a white Toyota 4Runner, around 10.15. He is last seen in the area at a speedway in Cobleskill around 11.30. He's gassing up and getting food. Another large part of the prosecution's case involved a series of messages that Jacob Klein sent to Elena Radin in the time between their breakup in 2017 and Philip Rabati's murder in 2022. Radin had blocked Klein on all of her social media. Her last correspondence with him appeared to be in 2019 when he tried to get her to take the dog, Kira, that they shared when they were together. Many of his messages via Instagram and Facebook during this time wavered between contrition for treating her badly and anger over the breakup. At one point, he called her a, quote, worthless piece of shit. The centerpiece of those messages for the prosecution, however, was an email that Klein sent Raiden 13 days after her wedding to Philip Rabati in September of 2021. It's lengthy. Here is Times Union digital producer Kevin O'Toole reading a portion of it. I heard through the grapevine that you got married. Somebody sent me some photos and you looked absolutely gorgeous. I cannot pretend I wasn't extremely jealous of the lucky guy when I found out. Sadly, I had in the back of my mind grand plans of becoming rich and successful on the West Coast and triumphantly returning to the East Coast to win you back in my true egotistical fashion. Unfortunately, I took my sweet time becoming a multimillionaire and now you are taken. But don't worry, I know deep down it is for the better but I'm sure you found someone who will treat you way better than I ever did. 
Klein goes on to apologize for treating Elena Raiden badly when they were together, blaming it on abandonment issues from being adopted. He also confessed to having felt suicidal. When I reached out to you to send you Kira, I was planning on killing myself. Once I knew she was safe, I was planning on swimming out into the Pacific Ocean until the ocean took me and I was going to do it. That way it would look like a drowning and my friends and family wouldn't think that I was weak. Prosecutors revealed that days before Klein sent this email, he had paid for information on Elena Raiden and Philip Rabati on whitepages.com, specifically information on their home address. An analyst for the New York State Intelligence Center also testified that around that same time, September of 2021, Klein performed Google searches for things like, quote, how long is too long to hold a choke? And, quote, how to breach a door with a shotgun. After two weeks of the trial, the prosecution brought in their star witness. The person kind of at the heart of this, Elena Raiden, she came to the courtroom and you you saw her take the stand. And we discussed that she, you know, she went over like, you know, the details of their relationship. But can you kind of describe the interaction between those two? Because I think that was a very uh, much anticipated moment in this trial. A lot of people were wondering what was going to happen when she took the stand and he got the chance to cross examine her. Yeah, I really think it's it was the the most uh, awaited part of this trial because how is this going to go? Someone who's accused of murdering his ex girlfriend's husband, and now she has to sit there and answer his questions in a court of law. Raiden was questioned by prosecutors first. She described an emotionally abusive relationship with Klein. They met while attending Upstate Medical University in Syracuse. They dated for about two and a half years. She said he repeatedly accused her of cheating on him when she had not done so. I just didn't want to be in the relationship anymore, she testified. Quote, I thought that he was demeaning. It wasn't a good relationship, unquote. She broke up with Klein in 2017 and blocked him on social media thereafter. She hadn't seen him in person in more than five years. When, when Elena Raiden came in on that afternoon, she comes in, takes the stand, and really, if Jacob Klein had been banking on upsetting Elena Raiden publicly, getting her to show her emotions, or if Jacob Klein was trying to rattle Elena Raiden, it didn't work. When it was Klein's turn to cross-examine, you could hear a pin drop in the courtroom. He asked her, would it be accurate to say that you were in a state of shock when she walked in on the crime scene? Very calmly composed, Elena Raiden responded, I guess, what is shock? I don't really understand the question. And then he continued to sort of push the issue. And she says, very matter-of-factly, I had just found my husband in a pool of his own blood. My fingers had gone into the stab wounds in his neck. I can keep my composure and even perform under pressure, remain composed enough under the circumstances. And it was sort of a reminder that, hey, you know, this woman is the victim of a horrible crime. 
She's also a, a surgical physician assistant who has to keep her composure at the most important time, much like her husband was. You know, so to be able to handle the situation there, facing someone who has now been convicted of murdering her husband. That she, doesn't happen very often, I imagine. No, it does not happen. I certainly haven't seen it. And there's this sort of questions where he says, how many times have we communicated in the last four years? She said she didn't know. And then she says, there hasn't been any communication since I blocked you. Of course, that didn't include the email in which, among other things, he said he was, quote unquote, extremely jealous of her husband. Among other things, he had told her in a message, good luck ever finding someone else to love you because of your whining. Just just the type of ridiculous, abusive nonsense that we hear about in domestic violence situations. And she testified under a prosecution. She said, you know, I, I made it very clear to him that he was not to contact me, that he wouldn't be able to contact me. She's like, I made it clear that we're done here and he's emailing me anyway. Um, so she did not want to hear from him. So initially, I couldn't figure out why would you ask that question of, hey, what was your what was your state of mind? Unless you're trying to sort of like and rattle her, though, I got to say, another reporter did mention this to me. Um, and I think uh, she had a good point. Uh, it might have been a strategy as if to say, what's your state of mind so that he can sort of argue, hey, you were so rattled, you didn't know what was going on. And that's why you you mentioned in your state of just shock and horror that, oh, it could be Jacob Klein, my ex-boyfriend, and that yeah. she wasn't thinking properly at the time. And in the end, Klein did not call any witnesses. He did not himself testify. He rested his case immediately after the prosecution, and he delivered a 44-minute closing argument. And absolutely none of it had anything to do with the murder. There was not one speck of forensic evidence on any of my possessions linking me to the crime. Assistant DA Jessica Blaine Lewis delivered her closing argument with an extensive PowerPoint that laid out a detailed timeline and evidence they believed indicated Klein's guilt. You already heard how the verdict went down. The trial concluded. Court officers walked an expressionless Jacob Klein out of the courtroom in shackles. Jessica Blaine Lewis embraced Shaw Rabadi. Neither the Rabadi family nor the Raiden family spoke to media afterward. Instead, they issued a statement. It read, At this difficult time, we want to express our deep gratitude to our family, friends, and the community for the unwavering support and love we have received since our beloved Philip Rabadi was tragically taken from us. You have all shown us the power of love, compassion, and solidarity, and we are deeply moved by the outpouring of love and care that surrounds us. Philip was not only an integral part of our family, he was a shining star in the community. His dedication to making this world a better place and his commitment to helping others has left an indelible mark on all our hearts. The statement goes on to say that the families have established a philanthropic organization called the Phil with Love Foundation. You can find more information at philwithlove.org. Klein's legal advisor, Mark Bedereau, spoke to us after the trial. 
Obviously, it's never ideal for anyone to represent themselves, uh, particularly a non-lawyer in a high-profile murder case. Um, but that's what he chose to do. And all things considered, for someone who had no experience, he handled himself relatively well in the courtroom. But Bedero says he expects there will be an appeal. He says there are several issues that could be the focus of that appeal. But one argument that can't be made, Jacob Klein cannot say he had ineffective counsel because he was his own counsel. We caught up with Jessica Blaine Lewis as well. We are very relieved this was a long time coming and it is nice to know that the verdict was rendered today and that we can bring some comfort to the family who suffered this incredibly terrible tragedy. The sentencing is scheduled for December 8th. Klein faces 25 years to life in prison. We'll bring you more on that part of the story then. We gave you a summary here today of the trial, but you can read a lot more of the details on timesunion.com. You can also see some of the video evidence that we mentioned in this episode. You can also get the latest news and features on our website or any of our social channels. And that's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. The Eagle is a production of The Times Union. It's produced and edited by me, Jessica Marshall, with help from The Times Union digital team and The Newsroom. Special thanks this week to Rob Gavin, Kevin O'Toole, and Erica Smith for their contributions to this episode.